Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Actus Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, February 13th, marks our 116th program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, ECMO Coding Changes. I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left, Sharm Brody. Sharm is a full-time instructor for us here at Actus, teaching our CDI boot camps, as well as serving as a subject matter expert. She has more than 35 years in the healthcare industry, including multiple roles uh, in areas of nursing and a variety of of roles and units. Um, Prior to joining us here, she worked as a consultant providing program audits, um, implementation and continuing education for CDI departments, including physician education in various healthcare facilities. And I'm glad to have her back on today's show. So welcome, Sharm. Hi, Brian. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone tomorrow. <laughs> That's Forever. right. Yeah, I hope everyone's got their candy and flowers, et cetera. I got I to gotta make that stop myself. Um, did you send me? Next, like, <laughs> did I send you? You're going to put me on the spot. Yeah, I'll, I'll, it, yeah, it's in the mail. It's coming your way, Sharp. It's in the mail. Ne- <laughs> All right, I'm going to introduce our, t- our industry guests today, two newcomers to Actus Radio, but I'm pleased to have on with us Ann Donnelly. Ann is manager of CDI for Ardent Health Services, the Tulsa region, uh, Hillcrest Medical Center. By way of background, Ann has 25 years of nursing experience in critical care, PACU, burn, and telemetry step-down units. She has eight years experience in CDI and has worked in a variety of CDI software and computer systems in the CDI industry. Uh, She's worked in community and teaching facilities, and each of these different experiences has helped her understand the many nuances of documentation. We're going to be getting into a very nuanced area today, uh, and I want to welcome her to the program. Thanks, Anne. Hi, Brian. Thanks so much. We're really excited to be here. Absolutely. And then we have with us uh, Anne's colleague, Darcy Watts. So Darcy has 10 years of critical care nursing experience, also um, with Hillcrest Medical Center. She's worked in CDI for almost two years, used her clinical knowledge and provider relationships from her time in ICU to quickly jump into working on projects and developing her presentation and coding skills. Um, She does find CDI challenging. And again, we've got a challenging topic for everyone here today, and I'm, I'm glad to have her on to help Uh, share her knowledge as well. So welcome to the program, Darcy. Hi, Brian and Charm. Thank you so much for having us today. Yeah, Charm, I didn't say you too. Sorry, don't hold it against me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, ladies. Well, (laughs) as I always do, I'm going to start with a poll question um, on today's topic. Can see that there, and I'm going to read that and ask you to pick the option that best pertains to your organization. And the question reads How would you describe your organization's ability to code ECMO procedures? Would you describe that as proficient, meaning you have little difficulty with doing so? Um, would you describe it as somewhat difficult, requires queries and discussion to get there, uh, very challenging, very difficult to accurately code? 
maybe this is the first time you've heard of ECMO, um, or not applicable. Perhaps your organization doesn't provide these services or, or you're not working uh, in CDI at the moment. So again, how would you describe your organization's ability to code ECMO procedures? Proficient, little difficulty, uh, somewhat difficult, acquiring queries and discussion, very challenging. What the heck, or what what is HECMO? <laughs> um, or not applicable. All right, these results are coming in now. We've got about 70% of our audience voting. So I'm gonna go ahead and close this out and we will come back to the results as we always do in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned today, our guests are Ann Donnelly and Darcy Watts. Ann and Darcy, welcome to the program and, and thanks for being a part of Actus Radio today. Um, you know, we're, we're going to talk today about how your organization has dealt with the uh, ECMO coding change. So I, I guess a lot of the difficulty that you guys have encountered is that there were some coding changes implemented on October 1, 2018 that greatly impacted the way these procedures are being uh, documented, coded, and, and, and billed. Um, could you describe those and some of the impact they've had on your organization? Before you do, I'll just share with our audience that Anne was very kind enough to uh, develop some slides for this because this is a little bit of a complicated topic. So I'm going to be sharing those during the show. So if you'd like to start, Anne, uh, that would be great. Well, um, pre-October 2018, um, any patient that had ECMO written on their chart, it would automatically end up in DRG003, and that word ECMO dictated basically that it would go to DRG003, assuming something more intense didn't occur. And after October 2018, when they made the changes to the actual codes of ECMO, only when it was a central cannulation did the word ECMO itself drive it to that same DRG. And when we, when we first kind of started working on this problem and thought we were so smart to quickly realize we weren't, um, we were really focusing on those codes alone, just the ECMO codes themselves that started with the 5A. Um, so that was really, um, that was the biggest change and biggest significance is how ECMO was perceived and whether it was a driving procedure or not. Excellent, thank okay. you. Um, this is Sean, I think that was Ann and Darcy. I have a question for you. There are probably a lot of people on the line that don't know what ECMO might be. So why don't we start by explaining what ECMO is? Well, I, I mean, I think we would probably almost be in that boat. Like we had, we had a very basic understanding. I think unless you, as a nurse, have really worked with a patient who is, you know, receiving ECMO in the ICU, you you might have a vague understanding, or you've coded it before, so you kind of come up with your own you know, understanding of what you think it is. And I can at least speak for myself personally, it was just, it was something for the respiratory system. And that was kind of all there was to it in my mind. And so, um, you know, we learned that ECMO, it, it's a much broader umbrella term. And the setup and the cannulation determinations really is based on the intent that the providers are intending which physiological system are they looking to support? Is it the heart, is it the circulatory, is it pulmonary, is it some combination thereof? You know, I think not having dealt with 
a patient with that system, you know, the easiest thing for our viewers would be to kind of like almost visualize like a dialysis for the heart or circulatory system or respiratory system. And I think there's a picture in here as well that just kind of shows the patient set up on ECMO. And for our organization, knowing the intent and understanding like where the cannulas were inserted and where they ended up was really pretty key to feeling that we had good support for ethical coding. All right. Okay. Is this what you should be seeing? The audience should be seeing here. I'm pulling this up, and it's got the, the picture of the patient with the with the device attached. Yeah, that that that'll give you at least a little visual, and I think that's helpful. Right, and that is appreciated. So, could you talk about what challenges you identified in in coding these procedures and services? I know this was multifaceted sort of you know, language and codes and um, and uh, those type of issues. So maybe just kind of outline what some of the problems are you guys were experiencing. Well, after we kind of learned that ECMO had different intents and delivery setups, we realized like kind of how unfamiliar we were of each of the components we needed to understand better. You know, one of those um, components was the name of the device that is utilized in our facility. You know, it, for anyone, you know, working on this problem in, going to the PCS device key was a big key in helping us, you know, all kind of come together in our understanding. And in our institution, we used Centromag, and that, per the device key, is a short-term external heart assist device. Um, you know, there's, there's more details, and there's probably still going to be some individual institution determinations of what they feel is the right way to take that information, but that was really a, a big key in figuring that out. You know, prior to October 1, I think people just talked about ECMO, so, like, that term was just good enough, and the doctors, you know, maybe understood the nuances of what their intent was and the different setups and what the physiological system they were working on, but I think most, like, CDIs, nurses, coders, like it was just that one term was all the same. And so there wasn't probably enough description in the record from providers and no one had asked them to provide it because nobody really understood it was needed before this coding change made it really evident. Um, you know, we had to learn to think about ECMO not just as something impacting respiratory or whatever. We had to kind of think of it is what is ECMO a bigger part of? Is it is it for respiratory purposes only? Is the main intent focused on the circulatory and heart system with additional respiratory support? Um, and, and for us, we, we learned from the education that with our providers that as a CDI looking at a record, our big key in um, that's going to give us an idea of where we think it should be is the cannulation setup. Whether it's VA or VV, set, VV um, cannulation is a clue to us if we do not have good documentation that we're going to probably need to talk to the provider to understand better what the intent of the procedures were and where ultimately the cannulas were placed. Gotcha. So that intent is key. Yep. Um, so right. this is Sean again. Let's talk about how your team at Arden uh, tackled the problem. It seems like it wasn't just in the hands of the CDI. You didn't seem to just turn it over to the coders and tell them to figure out all of these changes. Uh, you introduced an interdisciplinary uh, team that included surgeons, that I'm told, your providers, mm -hmm. um, your ser clinical service coordinators, your CDI, and your coding. So can you explain to everyone how that worked out and how you got it all together? 
Yeah, I mean, that was really key for us. And, and I mean, honestly, like, I, I feel like probably all the people who worked on this project, even though many times they had other things to say, ultimately, I think we all kind of know this was like a perfect example of how more things in healthcare should work. Like when we work in our silos, we don't get the best. We understand our portion and understanding each part of that. They can be the specialist in that area and together we build the best understanding. You know, before the end of October, um, quickly, more than CDI and coding were like paying attention to this big change. You know, the LVAD team, the physicians, the administrators, they're, they're having a lot of questions. And, you know, so, so we, we had a meeting and we met with a C, our CV intensivist, um, our LVAD coordinator, and some CT surgeons, and we had some coding involved as well. And when we were first talking about this um, issue, we quickly were like, like, we're quiet probably more than anything because we're like realizing we that we're lacking understanding when the doctors were talking for sure. Um, you know, we were really fortunate that we had such a great LVAD coordinator and our CV critical care intensivist. You know, they both really, they all valued education so strongly that um, they really enjoyed teaching us. And then we would have to share with them certain things about coding that they had to respect. And, and they accepted that and really enjoyed that, wanting to learn that. Um, you know, and ultimately, once we kind of felt like we got where we were getting, we talked to coding sometimes like almost daily, like they were probably so sick of us. But I, I really think we all were are happier for it in the end. And ultimately, when we kind of felt like we thought we knew what we were talking about, though we never felt quite sure, we were so happy. And that's one of the most awesome things I think about Axis is, you know, we we were able to reach out to another facility who was dealing with the same problem. And really, the only reason I could do that is because I could see their email in our my Axis contact, and they were amazing, mm -hmm. amazingly awesome. And they were really collaborative, were willing to work with us, meet with other people in our organization on a WebEx, and that was really key because when something's so confusing, you, you can come up with your best answer and to have someone able to support you and find that they've traveled the same journey really made a huge difference in us feeling like we did the right thing and made good answers, you know, as a team. That's great. How did you find that hospital to reach out to? Was that someone you knew that was doing these procedures or was this just a, a conversation you might have had? Well, about Brian, I don't like to give away all my trade secrets. I have to tell you why. <laughs> I mean, but I will say, <laughs> um, you know, recently in Oklahoma, they started a chapter and some of the leaders who have started the Oklahoma chapter, I noticed that they had a facility in their address that I knew did ECMO. And so, you know, I emailed multiple people with that same little email tag and kind of expected to be blown off. <laughs> but but I had <laughs> several people respond and they were so, 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 so nice. And they were like, hey, we have a manager who has just been talking this for like the last few months and she, I'm sure, would be able to help you. And that woman was so amazingly helpful and friendly and collaborative. Like we could not thank her enough for the conversation and WebEx she did with us to tell us the journey that their facility had gone on. So read your little facility emails if you want hints. <laughs> right. And you know, I'm, I'm sure that's great. The, the chapter was able to help. I, I, I am showing here in, um, in Darcy a slide that has critical care, ECMO initiation note elements. Is this, like a template you guys put together to um, talk about what should be in here for accurate coding? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we did a lot of medical research, and, and I included a couple of those references at the end from the ELSO organization and why you do ECMO and some of their values, and I think that's helpful. And, and all the references are some other things that people could look at if they are still kind of going through this process. Ultimately, that was what we felt was the best solution, which was also we got that similar feedback from the other organization, is that they ended up having to create a template in their EMR to make sure that each of those elements that was essential for coding to know that they were coding the right intent, the right placement, and things that you know the doctors know in their head but don't get on paper to adequately support a certain device or procedure. And so um, we had really great support with Epic helped us. The CV intensive, our CV intensive Dr. Gloom was so awesome, and he really like he was the like you know we can kind of be between providers and coding, and he was the bridge between you know coding including CDI and the CT surgeons, even though they were, you know, they collaborated, he really, really was instrumental. And so it's so awesome if you have someone who really has that buy-in. Right. I was just showing that slide you put together with Dr. Gloom on there and yourself. And you also wanted to mention there was Jeff Lewis, uh, Director of Revenue Cycle Coding, who assisted with this. Oh, he did a ton too, because I mean, like, you know, I just I, I think of it almost like it's like coding's like your parent and you're a teenager. You're like, I know what I want to do. And they're like, yes, that's a good idea. However, there are some rules you need to follow, young lady. And so, you know, I felt like that relationship was really good. And, um, you know, and both Dr. Galoom and Jeff Lewis were, you know, because sometimes people like to talk to their own specialty to feel like they're getting the right answer. And they both were, you know, saying like, if anyone in coding or a physician has any questions, you know, they both gave their emails and welcomed anyone to reach out to them if they had any questions as well. Right. That's great. And, you know, and you just alluded to some of the extra uh, research you had to do in the medical literature. There's device companies. It looked like you were, you were looking up coding guidelines and index. Uh, you mentioned you already mentioned your discussion with another facility. Quite a bit of work went into that. But the, these are some of the recommended references you think that could be helpful for our listeners who might be struggling with uh, with with ECMO coding. Yeah, um, the reference sheet has a lot of like the kind of more detailed articles, but um, just did something really simple. I thought the the two sheets from the extracorporeal life support organization and them explaining the different kind of rationale and cannulations for cardiac versus respiratory were helpful. And those links, um, they appeared to work. If for any reason they didn't, someone could email me. I'd send them to them. But one thing they did is here, which I think was helpful, is I just, it's just a really simple Word document that talks about the DRG, the length of stay, and the reimbursement associated with that. And one thing that's interesting is, like, when, it's like anything. Once you're in a certain industry, you kind of talk in so many acronyms, and you assume people know what you're talking about. So we just made a DRG chart with those associated um, information so that someone in finance or a doctor could say like, oh, how come it didn't go to this way? Or, oh, did it go to that one? They could kind of have a reference to be able to look at. And I think people have found that to be helpful. And, and I think we found it to be helpful sometimes when we think we finally have it, we're like, wait, we didn't think of that scenario. So um, we, we add to it frequently. And it's, it's definitely been a work in progress for sure. Humbling. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great resource and really appreciate you sharing that with the audience here. And um, again, we'll, I'm going to post for our audience members. I've had a few requests 
through the chat here, we will be sharing these, um, you know, in the show notes. I can link to those. So if you go to actus.org and you go to actus radio, I will provide uh, links to these slides that Anne has provided. They're great. All right. Well, you know, we're we're running a little bit over time here, guys. But really, want to appreciate. I and want to thank you for coming on the show to talk about this and and sharing so much great information with our with our listeners here. All right. I think we will go back to our uh, audience poll at this time. And again, we asked folks, you pull that up here. Um, how would you describe your organization's ability to code ECMO procedures? So 33%, about a third said proficient with little difficulty, which is great. 20% uh, said somewhat difficult, requires queries and discussion. 7% described it as very challenging, difficult to accurately code. 9%, this is something new to them. Uh, what is ECMO? Maybe they don't, maybe their organization doesn't offer it, but maybe they, they just haven't been involved um, from a CDI perspective. And then 32% not applicable. So any, um, what do you guys think, Ann Darcy? Any, any results here surprise you? Um, I'm, I'm actually a little surprised about the proficient, um, the, and I think that's great because uh, I still to this day, even after the um, countless hours of research that we've done on this topic, I still struggle with it um, because not everything is black and white. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've gone to great lengths to uh, get everyone on board and make sure that we have all the key elements. Um, so it's still a challenge for me and, and I learn something new every day, which is what I love about this job. So, um, I do find it interesting and I think it's wonderful. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully, um, we find out a lot more as we go further into it down the road. Right. Okay. We'll go ahead and we will close those out and uh, move on to the next segment of our show. All right. Well, let's move to our In the News segment. Uh, In the News is a regular segment bringing you the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Today, I'd like to discuss the latest on the nation's efforts to reduce hospital-acquired conditions, aka the dreaded hacks, which are often uh, the focus of CDI review. So, this particular story I'm showing you here is, as you can see, reported initially, or I saw it first, was from the AHA, the American Hospital Association, and it's, and it's some really good news. Um, so this is taken from the AHRQ's Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality website. Uh, hacks have declined by nearly 1 million, or 13%, between 2014 and 2017, which has prevented an estimated 20,500 deaths and 7.7 .7 billion in healthcare costs. Um, again, that's being reported from preliminary data from the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. So hacks declined, decreased by 910,000 over this period, including a 37% decline in C. diff infections and 28% decline in adverse drug events, which were some of the steeper declines. Um, this here is a, uh, a a link to the full report. It's a quite a lengthy report, um, 27 odd pages or more. I will again provide the link to this. This is a, a nice table that was provided in here 
that shows the type of reductions by hack. Uh, these include things like catheter-associated UTIs, central line-associated bloodstream infection, falls, pressure ulcers, surgical site infections, and more. So if any of these are a particular focus in your organization, you can find them here. Uh, this is, again, Exhibit 4. Uh, this here is a nice press release by the AHRQ, which summarizes this all very nicely, and there's a nice um, clickable graphic here that I thought, you know, might be something you might want to share with your quality staff, your physicians, you know, especially those that might be questioning, you know, the why, why they keep getting these POA queries. Um, I know it's always good to share good news with your physicians when your efforts are making a difference. You know, and I, and I realize that this isn't all obviously the result of CDI efforts. Some of it is, you know, true quality improvement processes uh, that have helped with these. But certainly, I know, and, and I, I, I've always wished that there was a separate column for the impact of CDI, but um, I know a lot of these things can be impacted through CDI review and accurate clarification of whether that condition was present or not. So this, it's just great to see these actual results come from the work of the, the whole healthcare team, including CDI, um, and thought this might be something you might want to share with your, with your physician staff. Again, I'll be providing links to these uh, after the show for those that want to read more. Um, curious whether, uh, Anne Darcy, if you have any thoughts on the article, or do you guys at, at Arden review cases with hacks, and have you seen impact or made impact um, as CDI professionals in your organization? Uh, I mean, I think that we are going to more and more have to learn to be working in collaboration with other departments. Um, you know, we frequently will reach out to quality and ask them what they can help us understand so we can make sure we can ask questions well. Um, we for sure on our CAUDIs do have a good relationship with our infectious disease nurse here and she's awesome and she like gives us a heads up or we give her a heads up and that way we just can really learn to educate ourselves. We sometimes have to share certain coding things but they can really share some of the impact in the infection world and so I think collaboration is the key as so many things value-based purchasing is crossing over to how it's coded and the impact to the organization. Right. That's great. Any other comments, Darcy or, or Charm? Darcy, do you have anything you'd like to say? No, I can't think of anything. Anne pretty well covered it. Uh, she has herself spent so long, so much time um, of uh, extra hours um, just trying to make sure we get it right as a facility and and it's uh, it's going to be beneficial definitely to our entire team. And I know Darcy right. and I go on public radio to say I have a big mouth, but we all know <laughs> Well, thanks again for, for being a part of the show and I'm, I'm sure our listeners appreciated your big mouth because I know I did. <laughs> yeah. you did a nice job. Irish to me, Brian. You know how those people are. That's right. Hey, my last name is Murphy. I'm I'm with you there. I know. All right. <laughs> Let's wrap up here briefly with the Actus update. Again, Actus update is um, a look at what's going on inside of Actus. And I did want to remind our listeners uh, that the Actus Achievement Award nomination period is now open has been open for a little bit. We recently extended it, I believe, till March 1st. Uh, 
Uh, Actus Achievement Awards are given out each year at the Actus Conference. If, for anyone who's been, this is a nice uh, ceremony on the morning of day two. We uh, announce each winner, allow them to say a few words, present them with glass awards. Um, we give a free admission to the CDI Professional Year to the conference. It is a high honor. We, we feature these folks afterwards in our publications. Um, so if you do have a deserving colleague, a peer, uh, someone you've worked with, someone who's maybe put together uh, some outstanding research on ECMO coding, for example, uh, might be someone you might want to consider nominating for an Actus Achievement Award. Uh, we do have some, uh, six different categories, including a new one this year, uh, non-traditional setting, CDI professional achievement. So this could be someone working in outpatient CDI. It could be someone who's working in post-acute. Uh, or another related space to CDI, um, just to acknowledge the, again, we talked about it earlier, the, the collaboration with other departments uh, and CDI moving beyond hospital walls these days. We have our professional of the year, rookie of the year. Each of these links are clickable so you can read what these awards are about and um, be thinking of it. If you have someone you'd like to nominate, please do so. You, you can't win an award if you don't nominate someone. All right. Yeah, you know, so and uh, add that healthcare professionals are the worst at nominating our fellow coworkers and colleagues. So please do it. This is a wonderful yeah. award for someone. It really is. Well, thanks, Charm. I, I I agree. I I hope people do take a few minutes. That you know, it is a little bit of a process to do the application, but that uh, the it's all spelled out on how that's done. So um, I'm going to wrap up here with just a brief plug for our next show, and, and we do have some big news to share. Um, Ahima and Actus have collaborated on a revision to the physician query practice brief. Uh, this was originally developed, the latest version in 2013, updated in 2016 just for ICD-10 references. This latest is a, uh, a pretty much a wholesale revision on the physician query brief. Some remains the same. There are some new, interesting new wrinkles in here. We're going to be um, doing a high-level overview of this on our next program. So I hope you can join us back here in two weeks. And uh, that is going to do it for today's edition of Actus Radio. Again, I want to thank our guests today, Ann and Darcy and Charm, as, as always, for being on the show. Um, for our listeners, if you do have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, you know where to reach me at bmurphy at actus.org. I would love to hear from you. That'll do it. We'll see you back here again in two weeks, and uh, take care, everyone. <laughs>